Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to the shepherds, My brothers, where do you come from? Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? For Isaac had sent Jacob to search for the one of the daughters of Laban, his mother's brother, to be his wife. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well of the mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all of the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years." Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. What? Did you read that verbatim? What? That's messed up, y'all. Man, I'm telling you, when we think about the Bible, and we've talked about this a lot lately, we think about the Bible as this sterile book 
of these great heroes, and it's almost like some type of fable. These are real people with real issues with real problems, and that's why this series has been so good. And if you're just joining us, whether you're at the Sherwood campus or if you're watching online or if you're here for the first time, thanks for being here. We're in a series called In the Beginning, and we've been looking at some of these messed up stories. And I think up to this point, this is probably the most messed up story. And we're going to just kind of pick up where we left off. Alan did a phenomenal job last week with talking about Jacob and Esau and the selling of the birthright. And so today we're going to pick up because we're going to kind of continue with Jacob. And now in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Joseph for two weeks. But today we're going to talk about Jacob. And Jason, Jacob, we know, had a, had a history of being a conniver, didn't he? Like he stole his birthright from his brother. He kind of swindled the, the blessings off of his father. And so that's kind of the first thing we see. And it's interesting to me because when I was thinking about all of that, I was actually reading in a leadership journal this past week a story. And it was a story about a CFO. And the CFO was getting ready to choose his successor. He had one year to retirement. So he took five of his workers and he brought them in and he said, this is what we're going to do. One of the five of you is going to take my place in my retirement and be my CFO. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give everybody a pot. I'm going to give everybody some soil and I'm going to give each of you a seed. And in one year from now, when I get ready to retire, you're going to bring that pot back and we're going to kind of judge who's going to get the job for the CFO. So they all went home. They had the same pot. They had the same soil. They had the same seed. They had opportunity to do the same exact thing. Well, Jack is one of the employees, and he's one of the better employees at the company. But Jack went home, and he planted a seed, and 30 days later, there was no, no plan. He read all the books, and he, he had Google fondic it. He knew exactly what should have happened. But 30 days later, that plant didn't come up. Three months later, he's watering it, he's fertilizing, he's doing everything, no plant. Six months, he's like, man, there's no way I'm going to get this job. I can't even grow this little plant. Nine months went by, still no plant. A year, he brings them all back into his office, and when they're sitting in the office, he notices that the other four workers have these huge plants. One has a Japanese maple. It's beautiful. It's red. It's lace leaf. It's about five foot tall. Somebody else comes in with a Bradford calorie pear. It's a pear that was about six feet tall. Another one comes in with a hospital. It's a beautiful hospital. One of them has this beautiful rose bush, one of those, one of those, those, those punch roses. And there's Jack with a pot of soil, nothing growing in it. And the boss says, the four of you, can sit down. Jack, I need to talk to you for a second. And Jack walks up, and he goes, what happened? He goes, I don't know. He said, I did everything I was supposed to do. I read the books. I, I, I searched for it. I know exactly how to do this. I've done this before. I don't know what happened. And he goes, Jack, you're the new CFO of our company. I want to congratulate you. I want you guys to congratulate. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's going, what are you talking about? He said, I gave all five of you seeds, and I boiled the seeds before I gave them to you so they couldn't grow. There was no way that those seeds were going to grow. But yet four of you came back with plants, which means you took other seeds. And as a matter of fact, I gave all five of you the same exact type of seed. You should have all grown the same thing. And because, Jack, you have a person, you're a person of integrity, and you brought back exactly what you grew, you are the perfect person for the job. And you know what made me think? And it's something we say a lot. And it's the story of Jacob, to be quite honest with you. What comes around, goes around. What you sow, you will reap, right? That's a principle that's all throughout the Bible. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. So Jacob, we're going to see what comes around, it goes around. Exactly what he did to his brother, exactly what he did to his father is going to come back and bite him in the butt. Now, I got to tell you, 
I got to tell this story my way. I can't do, when we read ESV, I can't do the because there's so much in between the lines here that if we don't talk about it, we're not going to do it justice. This will give you an insight. If you're new to Journey, welcome to Journey. This will give you insight to the pastor's brain around this place, okay? It's a really scary place up here. So Jake, Jacob, this is kind of ever comes up, but Jacob heads out on a, a mission. His mission is to find a spouse. It's unlike the way we do it today. We may go hang out at church or, you know, we may go to a restaurant. We may go to a, a certain activity and we try to find a spouse. Back then, they would literally go sometimes to foreign lands and they would go to a place. So he goes to a foreign land and uh, he, he stops for the night one night right before his journey ends. And he has this dream. Now, it's interesting to me. Sometimes we don't put all the, connect all the dots. You remember when we used to play the game and you would connect all the dots? You didn't know exactly what the picture was until you connected all the dots. Well, you need to connect all these dots because remember Abraham and Isaac is the father and the grandfather. So we're going to see these dreams. That, and it's something that's really interesting to me that the promises of God go through generations and generations and the things that we do impact, impact generations and generations. So God's going to re, kind of rekindle this, this dream that he has. So he says this in Genesis chapter 28, 13. He says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie, where you're at right now, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in, uh, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Doesn't that sound a lot like we talked about in week three? When Abraham gets, you know, you go outside, you look at the stars of heaven, your offspring's gonna be as, you know, as plentiful as the stars of the sky, and I'm gonna give you all the surrounding areas. And we looked at it when, before he had Isaac, that 25-year span, we, we took a hard, cold look at the fact that he, he was sent to this foreign land, and God did everything in him that he had promised. He had given him the land, he had given him money, he had given him you know, cattle and sheep and all that. The one thing that was missing was his son. Was his son. So we see this promise again. And then we read a little bit further, a couple of verses down in verse 15. He says, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. That's pretty powerful right there. So the, the promise from Abraham down to Isaac was now being transferred from Isaac. Even though he stole the birthright and he stole the blessing, it was still going down to Jacob, okay? So his journey comes to an end and he ends up in this, this place called Bethel. And he gets to Bethel, and you, you, you heard them talk about it. There were shepherds all around, and they were waiting to water their flocks. And, and, and Rachel is off in the distance. And, I, and I'm going to tell you the way I see it, because we read Scripture. It's real sterile. It's like he sees Rachel off in the distance, and he's going, oh, my goodness. Like, check her out. Now, we, we read it, and it, and it says he pulled the stone away from the well. I don't think it's he pulled the stone away from the well. I think he ripped off his shirt, and he's going to, like, see that? Like, watch out. And I want Rachel to see what a man I am. Now, usually we take three or four people, but I'm going to do it myself. So he, he, he grabs that stone, and he gets a hernia, and he never, like, lets in on these, like, you know, he never lets in on it. And there's a bulge right here. He never lets in on it. But all of a sudden... He looks at Rachel. Now, this is where it gets really cool, right? It, 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 really, one of my, like, he looks at Rachel. He's captivated right away. He does all that stuff. He walks right up to Rachel. Guys, do not do this, okay? Especially with a woman you don't know. He walks right up to Ra Rachel, and he gives her this sloppy, wet kiss. Can you imagine that? And, and, and if I, like, I'd be like, oh, my God. If, if you're hanging out with him, like, you're like, oh, dude, you are so not cool, Right? And then he does the most unmanly thing ever. He just was trying to show her what a man he was by lifting this stone. 
And now because he kisses her, he starts to cry like a little baby girl. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in there. How do you go from big stud muffin to like wimpy over here? But somehow or another, it all happens, okay? So he walks right up. Well, after he properly, because he does it afterwards, he kind of, he properly introduces himself to Rachel and he says that I am actually, and if you read the story, he's the, he's the nephew to Laban. So these are cousins, which that doesn't happen in Georgia. It may happen in West Virginia, but it doesn't happen in Georgia. And so he is in, just infatuated with Rachel. So he walks up, he kisses her, he cries, um, he has this conversation. And so Laban comes back. And when Laban comes back, you know, he welcomes him in. He says, you're my family. You, you need to come live with us. So Jacob began working for Laban. And he works for him for quite a while, maybe 30 days or so. And Laban says, what, like, I, I, I owe you something. Now, it's interesting to me because remember, Jacob is also the deceiver. And this is the first time that Jacob is having an opportunity to come clean and actually do things right. And it could have been like, I was, I was, I've been here for 30 or 60 days. I've been here for 90 days. He goes, no, 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 I've been here. And he goes, Yo, okay, so we're going work, to work on what, what, whatever it is. Now, remember, he works for him for a month. Laban has two daughters, has Leah and Rachel, okay? Now, let's just put it on pause for a second. Because I'm reading this, and I've been studying this for about 30 days in the Hebrew. And, and, and when you read it in the Hebrew, it, it has, I'm not going to read the Hebrew, but this is what it says. Leah's eyes were weak but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, okay? So Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel's eye, uh, Rachel was, was beautiful in form. Well, like if a proper comparison would have been done, it would have been Leah's eyes are weak and Rachel's eyes are strong. Does that make sense? But it's not. It's Leah's eyes are weak and Rachel, Rachel is beautiful. Now the Hebrew, it's this. This is, what, this is how it's described. Rachel is smoking hot. Like she's, I was almost going to show a comparison of, of, of like, I was going to show you like what, what, what Leah probably looked like. And then I was going to have a picture of my wife up there as the smoking hot one, because I want to try to score brownie points. But it was one of those, deals. okay, so theologians, people that understand scripture, read scripture. When it says that Leah's eyes were weak, a lot of people, some people think that literally she needed glasses. It was just an eye problem. Okay. Some say that she had a deformity. Okay. So like her eyes crossed or his eyes were going the other direction. Now, in my, in my extensive study, okay, as your pastor, wanting to present exactly what the word of God says every time, this is what it literally means. Rachel smoking hot, Leah is ugly. Ugly. Like ugly. Like scare your mama ugly. Now, I'm glad I don't see any Leahs in here. So all of a sudden, he's captivated with Rachel, two sons. The journey comes to the end. He's at the well. He makes a deal with his, his uncle Laban. He says, this is what I want to do. I want to marry your daughter, and I'm willing to work seven years. Seven years I'm going to work. No pay, no nothing. I just want to marry your daughter. So Jacob gets married, right? Jacob gets married. Think about this. He's partying all night long. He's having a big time. The Bible says he goes to his tent and he waits for her. This is what I'm thinking. He puts on his silky pajamas. He gets an ascot on. He's hammering down some axe, right? Because that makes girls go wild, right? That's why I've seen the commercials. So he's spraying the axe all over him. 
but he's probably been drinking all night long. And so he sleeps with his wife and he wakes up the next morning and I don't know how it happens. I would think the veil would have come back at some point and he would have seen, oh my goodness, it's not the right one. But he wakes up the next morning face to face with Leah and he goes, ah! Now, I don't know about you. How do you get so hammered that you go to bed thinking you're worth one woman and you wake up? Now, in the first service, somebody said, I've done it. I'm like, no, you can't stay that in church. You don't say that in church. That's not good in church. But you know, I was thinking about this. Just hear me on this. How many times have we went to bed with something thinking it was one thing and the next morning we woke up and it was something else? How many times have we done something. We thought, well, this is great. We're going to, man, this is a good thing. How many times we sleep with a thing called alcohol or drugs and we think, man, it's, it's going to be a blast. And we wake up the next morning, it's a different woman or whatever the addiction is or whatever that relationship is or whatever that financial you know, venture is. We, we go to bed with one thing and we wake up with another. And so he wakes up with, a, he wakes up with Leah. And now Laban goes, you should have known better. It's our, it's our culture. Now, this is really interesting because remember I said what comes around goes around? Jacob stole the birthright, which is the firstborn. And now Laban throws it back in his face. He said, you should have known. He said, it's culture for us. The, the, the firstborn's got to be married before anybody else, so the older one's got to be before the younger one. And basically he's going, you're going to sow what you reap. And so we know how the rest of the story goes. He, he ends up sleeping with Leah. He's married to Leah, Leah, and he goes, you know something I still love? I'm infatuated. I still want Rachel. And so Laban goes, what are you going to do? He goes, I'll work another seven years. Seven more years, so 14 years to get married. And all, of all things, he marries sisters. I cannot see that working anywhere. I mean, that's, I know they got a sister wives, but that doesn't work well on TV either. So all this is going on. They were married. Rachel was married. And there's kind of a cool part of the story. They had 12 kids. Nine were born to Leah and her concubine, her, her, one, of her, one of her girls, and another three were born to Rachel and hers. Long time, but in the middle of the third child being born, Benjamin, she dies. Now, next week, we're going to look at one of their children. His name is Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You've, you've heard that story. But it's interesting to me because as I'm reading this story, I need you to hear this. These were put in the Bible just not so we can laugh about them, we can scratch our heads about them and go, wow, what happened? These are put there so we can learn. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to be the fulfillment. So there's things in there that God wants us to transfer, even though they're Old Testament stories, into the New Testament life. And one of the things I think that's speaking loud and clear about the story of Jacob is this. Your past Listen, my past, your past, everybody's past never lets go without a fight. It never lets go without a fight. And we're going to fight this thing. Listen, he turned over a new leaf. He's sitting at the, at, the, at, the, at the well of Bethel, and he's trying to do things right. It's the first time in his life he wasn't a manipulator. It's the first time in his life he wasn't trying to deceive anybody. It's the first time in his life he wasn't scheming and scamming of a plan. It's the first time in his life he wasn't being a trickster. But still his past came up. Here's what I want everybody, if you're going to write something down, and I'm going to explain this because some theologians, some people kind of read, but, but 
you will sow what you reap in every circumstance. Let me give you just a, a, a physical law. If I was to plant corn in there, what's coming up? This is not rocket science, y'all. There's what's coming up. If you plant, if you plant an apple seed in here, what's coming up? If you plant squash or zucchini, what's coming up? How many people like maters? If you like maters, if you plant a mater, what's coming up? So why into our, our lives do we think we're gonna plant bitterness and we're gonna get peace? Why in our lives do we think we're gonna, we're gonna all anxiety and frustration and manipulation and bullying and we're gonna get something else? What you sow in your life, you are gonna end up reaping somehow. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that you get it more than you even, what you even planted. Now, some of, I can hear some of the, the, the theologians in the room. You're talking about Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. That's not really talking about seeds. That's talking about heaven and hell. I get it. But, so Galatians says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap, okay? So if you sow good things, you get to go to heaven. If you sow bad things, it's a hell thing. I get it. It's heaven and hell. But here's the deal. So many people read, and I'm, I'm going to use a couple big words, and I'll explain what they mean. Okay, so many people read Scripture, and they read it wrong. So there's a couple different ways that we can read this passage of Scripture. We can read myoptically, okay? So myoptic means nearsighted or near. And lots of people read Scripture. You know these people. You've been around these people. Tracy, you, you know these people. They read it and they go, so the Scripture says this, this, and this. It's black and white. There's no, like, there's no anything else. But you've got to read scripture diachronically because, and what diachronically means, you, you take the broad picture, you read through it instead of across it. So you have to read diachronically and you have to understand what the culture's saying, who's the audience he's talking to. So there's certain things in the Bible that are not theology, that are actually th uh, uh, philosophy. So when it says women don't preach in church, it was because he was talking to a group of people. That's not theology. When he talks about in, in Leviticus, not having tattoos and not cutting your body, you got to know who he was talking. He was talking to a culture that were worshiping Baal. They were cutting themselves in the name of Baal. They were piercing themselves and not. It wasn't just somebody getting a tattoo of a cross on their arm. So you have to understand, yes, that scripture that I just read in, in Galatians is talking about this thing, heaven and hell. But you know as well as I do, there's a universal world principle that says what you sow, you will reap. What comes around, goes around. And Jacob is the greatest example that I can see in the Bible of what comes around, goes around. When you sow discord, you reap deception. Every time. Oh, man, I'm reading, I'm reading this blog by uh, a preacher by the name of uh, John MacArthur. I don't agree with everything that John MacArthur says. I'll be honest with you, one of my challenges in January was to start reading things that I don't agree with just so I can broaden my, not, not so they can change me, but just so I can understand so I can teach better. So John MacArthur is on one side of the spectrum. I'm kind of on the middle or the other side of the spectrum. But John MacArthur is talking about, and he says, throughout the course of history, we can look at the narcissism of leaders and we can see the fall of leaders. And he went all the way back to Caesar. Caesar was narcissistic. Everything was about him, right? Caesar Augustus was everything about him. And the 70 AD, we see because of his narcissism, he won't admit that they have a problem and there's the fall of the Roman Empire in 70 AD. We see it all throughout the course of history. We see great, great military people. We've seen presidents. We've seen it in the last couple months in the church world. We've seen narcissistic preachers that rise or feel like they rise above and they feel like they're untouchable. So he started talking about one specific one and I don't, 
I, I don't agree with everything, but like it was interesting to me. He said it was interesting. One of the leaders of our world started out as a businessman. Many of them started out as businessmen. And they were absolutely, they were like, they were awful. They were horrible to their employees. They were, they were bullies. They, they, they went in and just kind of threw their papers down and everything he said. Had, and so he said, when he got in political office, what had happened was when he got ousted, he got ousted the same way that he, he responded in business and in politics. And I went, ooh, what you sow, right? You're gonna reap. What you, what comes around, goes around. And I can hear some of you, I can hear, I can see it in your eyes. But I accepted Jesus, Bobby. Good. You needed to accept Jesus. Right? This is not, so you know what happened when you accepted Jesus? If we accept Jesus Christ, that the cross was in fact what it was, which I believe it is, we're gonna celebrate in a couple weeks, right? That Jesus was sinless, he came to the earth, he went to the cross, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he's coming back. If he tarries, he's coming back to get his church. I believe all that stuff. But what Jesus and the cross did for you was he forgave you of your sins. He didn't abolish the past. The past is still there. There's still things in your life. Listen, just because you went to Meemaw's church in South Georgia one day and walked the aisle doesn't mean that your past is not going to come up. Just, be, just because, listen, you get baptized at Journey, you know what that gets you? Wet. Your past is still there. You Bobby, I don't want to. Listen, not only is your past still there, it knows your phone number and it knows where you live. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a battle that you can't win. I'm just telling you, it's coming up. I've been a believer 30 years and the same struggles I had 30 years ago. And you're, well, you're not really a believer. Don't you do that to me. I'm a brand new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. But the old creeps up every once in a while. Somebody say amen to that. And every once in a while, you have to beat that man down again. And every once in a while, you got to tell that man who's boss. And that's exactly what's going on with Jacob. It's a fight that you can ultimately win. But it doesn't go easily. Sowing, and, 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 and here's, here, here's a big learning lesson. The only way I think we can beat this thing is by sowing something different. If we sow these things over here and the old man is still creeping up, maybe we need to figure out what we're sowing. Maybe like in our marriages. Maybe we don't like the way our marriage is going. Maybe we need to start sowing something. Okay, so one of the leadership principles that I tell people all the time, you need to know the end game before you start. You need to know, so in marriages, when a, marriage, a couple comes to me and they're struggling, and this is a great tool for probably everybody in this room to do. If you're struggling in your marriage, sit down with your spouse one night, get the kids, put them to bed, go on a date night, do something, and sit down and go, what do we want our marriage to look like? From 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years, what do we want our marriage to look like? And that'll give you a good indication or indicator what you have to do. Because now all of a sudden you know first steps and second steps and third steps. The problem is most of us don't know what we want to be. Next week I'm going to travel down to Florida. Now I know some of the roads, I'm really good on some of the roads, but there's some roads I just don't know. So you know what I do? I plug in the destination in my GPS and the GPS tells me every step of the way I want to go. It's because it knows where I want to go. And most people in the world, I can promise you, don't know where they want to go. Spend some time figuring that out. And, and then start planning some, doing some things, financial situations. I was talking with a person the other day. And I said, um, they said, listen, I have a spending problem. I said, okay, what does that really mean? And he said, well, 
Since January, I've spent $200,000. This is a person that makes normal money. Like, this is not like super duper wealthy. This is normal money. And I said, you do have a problem. Well, I want to change it. What do you want to do? What are you going to do? What do you want to be? I want to be debt free. Okay, so how are you going to do that? Well, one of the first things you have to do is stop spending, right? And the person looked at me like, like I had four heads. I have to stop spending. Yes. Because you know what happened? That old man, that old person will keep creeping up. Same thing with your health, spiritual issue, whatever it is. You're going to have to make a plan to get where you want to go. I'm going to have to make a plan to get to where I want to go. So that's the first thing, okay? First thing's that. That old person is going to creep up. Second thing is this. You will eventually need to overcome the biggest obstacle. And let me tell you what the big, biggest obstacle is. You. It's you. We, we, love, we love to blame it on mom and dad for rigid potty training, don't we? Right? I'm the way I am because my mom, shut up, in Jesus' name. It's all the teacher's fault. No, it's not. It's your kid's fault. Now, I'm not saying the teachers are all right all the time, but you should hear some of the things. Like, I just scratch my head sometimes. He didn't come with his homework five weeks. Five, how did you fail him? He didn't come with his homework for five days in a row. Well, you know how busy my school is. Everybody's schedule is busy. See, we, we, we live in a world that there is no self-awareness, and we, do never, we never want to take responsibility for me. So in order to get from where God wants us to be and go, we're going to have to take some. See, here's what I've learned. Anyone who serves God will discover that the greatest hindrance to his or her walk is not others, it's themselves. That's one of the, one of the most eye-opening things I've ever learned, that I take responsibility for me and everything changes. I, I take responsibility for my actions. See, what happens here is we see, we see something still missing in Jacob's life. He's at the well in Bethel. And he's, he's sitting there and he goes, like, I, I want to be different. But what we see is, his, here's a great lesson. His attitude changes. Do you know when we come to know Christ, our attitude should change? Right? Shouldn't it? Another thing that happens is his behavior changes. Listen, when we come to Christ, our behavior should change a little bit. Like, there should be some things that change in our life. I shouldn't be saying and doing the same things I was doing before I came. So there's a little bit of change there. Uh, so he, he begins, to, his behavior started changing. His location. So he actually moved from one city to another. You want to know something? If we want everything that God has for us, sometimes our location has to change. I'm not saying you move from Augusta to, to, to Athens, but maybe, which is the other thing, maybe you need a, a different group of friends. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what's bringing you down. How, how about this? I want you to do a project. Throw a rotten apple in a bunch of good apples and tell me what happens. The rotten apple spreads throughout the good apples. It's never the other way around. And that's what happens in our lives when we're not doing. So, so Jacob, Jacob has done all those things, but he's missing one key element. There's still one essential thing. Well, it's found in Genesis 20. I'm going to read this twice. I want to see if you can pick it up. It says this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in, his way, in, the way, in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Okay, I'm going to read it again. Did y'all y'all pick it up? Did y'all get it? It's one word. One word. He says, then Jacob made a vow. If. If. How many times have we said if? God, if you get me out of that problem right there, I'll never do it again. How many people have ever said that one? 
If, if, if you can, it, God, if I can get, I, I'll break out. I, I will never do it again if you do this one situation here. He is literally saying, God, I will serve you if you keep bread on my table and you, you keep blessing me the way you're blessing me. See, when I make a vow to God, there should never be an if in there. It should always be, God, you are God, and that's why I'm doing this thing. You deserve my very best. You expect my very best. You expect me to do the things that I've promised that I was going to do, not if. So the vow is conditional. Jacob's vow made a, look, God, I'll do this if. So you know what we don't see Jacob doing, which Jacob should have done? We don't see Jacob praying about the situation. He doesn't sit there and go, God, is this... This Rachel that I just gave a sloppy kiss to, that I ended up sleeping with the wrong woman, maybe, just maybe, should I have prayed about this first? Should I have asked you, God, if this is the right person? How about this? We don't see him thanking God for his provision. How many times has that happened in our lives? We even put the if, and if God, you do this, and then he still blesses us because, because he is a God of grace and mercy. How many times have we go, okay, well, I just, I assumed that you were going to do it anyway. Why would I even thank you? How about this? Do we see him asking God for his help? Nope. We see Jacob bulldozing forward, giving Rachel a kiss, and expecting everything to fall into place. If. That's the way we are. And little Jacob, little did he know, the conniver, the one that manipulated Esau, the one that manipulated his father Isaac, is about to get manipulated by a greater manipulator than he's ever met. A rich, greedy uncle named Laban. Well, comes around, goes around. See, Jacob's greatest obstacle was not his wealthy uncle Laban. His greatest obstacle was not sleeping with the wrong woman or having sister wives, though that seems to me that that would be a problem. You know what his greatest obstacle was? Him. He kept getting in his own way just like us. I want you to do me a favor. I want you maybe the next day or so, sit back, just get by yourself and determine in what ways are you your greatest obstacle? Because it's interesting to me because I've heard people say all the time, you know, I've heard people say, I want, I want Jesus to, how many people in the room would say, I, would, I want Jesus to bless my life? How many people say that? Like, how many people want to live? The, three of us, seriously. Like, if you want to live the blessed life, raise your hand real high. So most of us, there's a couple of us are like, nah, whatever. Hey, and some of you are going, I'm not raising my hand because he's going to put me down in a minute. No, listen, if you want a blessed life, but you're not spending time in God's word, if you're not spending time talking with him, if you're not spending time with, in the fellowship of believers, if you're not spending time serving, if you're not doing the things, guess what? You're the obstacle, not him. How many times I've I heard, I wish I had a nickel. Every time I heard somebody say, well, God's walked away. No, no, no. God does not walk away from people. It's not in his character. As a matter of fact, everywhere in the Bible, we see God running to a person. Right. Guess who's run away from who? It's been us. We are our biggest obstacle. Well, Pastor Bobby, I just want to have a really good marriage. I want, to, I want God to bless my marriage and my family. And then you know something? And then people, hey, how's your quality time with your family? Well, you know, I'm so busy doing other things. You know, I play golf three times this week and then fish twice and who, who's the obstacle? Is God the obstacle? Is marriage the Is your marriage, is your spouse? No, you're the obstacle. You want Jesus to heal you. You want to be blessed financially and you want God to use you and all those things. 
but, but, but have you submitted to the lordship of Jesus? Have you said, here is my life. Here is my life. I give you everything. I give you the, the very best things in my life. And here's what I've learned. And this is 30 years of being like a follower. This is what I've learned. When you give God a little, he does a lot with it. All he's waiting for us is to take the first step. Just give him a little bit. It's, it's a spiritual principle. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's it say? All these other things that we want to do, we like to do business and, and relationships and fun and hobbies and vacations and you know, all that stuff. It's all added. But the first thing we've got to do is seek God first. Jacob started out. He wanted to become a new man. At Bethel, when he was there, when he was at the well, he, he was literally, it was the first time he was not a conniver. It was the first time he said, you know, I'm going to try something different. And he had good qualities. If you read the story about Jacob, he became a great leader. He, 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 he honestly, he, he took initiative in things. He was a great, he was hard worker. Uh, he kept his word, which is funny because in, early in his life, he didn't keep his word and he lied. So he's keeping his word. And it's interesting. At that point right there, we would think, wow, I thought about this. Could you imagine if Jacob's life was a made-for-TV Christian movie or one of the Christian faith-based movies right now? He would go to the well and he would look like Danny DeVito. He'd be short and plump and dirty words and kind of probably have a little mafia Italian accent, right? He's like, how are you doing? Right? So he's doing like, he walks up to Rachel, how are you doing, Rachel? And he walks out. So the next scene when he leaves there, it's Matthew McConaughey. And he's got a shirt off. But guess what? The book of Genesis and the entire Bible is not a faith-based movie. It's the reality of real people that have real struggles, that have gone through real situations. And what we find out over and over again in the Bible, not just Jacob, lots of people, their biggest obstacle in their life was not the surroundings or the circumstances, it was them. Uh, at funerals all the time, I say this. And I talk about joy a lot at a funeral when people just kind of scratch their head. How can you talk about joy? Because as a believer, I have hope. And I can choose joy or I can choose something else. And I talk about circumstances. You want to know something? Here's the truth in life. If you're younger, here's the truth in life. You can't control your circumstances. <coughs> Somebody say amen to that. You can't control. You can control something, but you can't control all of them. Some things just happen. But you know what you can control? how you handle your circumstances, how you view that situation, how you view that problem. And so in our lives, we all have circumstances, we all have situations, but it's up to us, how are we gonna handle these things? Are we gonna get out of the way? Are we gonna allow God to do the things he wants to do? See, because in spite of your limitations, God is ready, and I believe this with everything that's in me, God is ready to bless you. God is ready to bless me. He's just waiting for me to take the first step. See, and here's what I'm, I'm learning. The more I give God to work with, the more he blesses me. So if I just give him a little bit, he does some blessing. But every time I give him a little bit more, you know what happens? He blesses me more. And I'm not in it for the blessings. I'm in it because that's what he called us to do. But man, the blessings are a great perk, aren't they? I, I love how Jacob writes, or it's written about Jacob, a few chapters later. Listen to how his tone changes. Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, because he gave God just a little bit to work with. This is what God's response to him. He says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. 
for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That you'll have a cattle on a thousand hills, that you'll be prominent, that your lineage will be blessed, that your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids will know who I am and I have an inheritance for them. And then Jacob finally realizes in all of this that God's goodness, think about this, God's goodness does not rely on man's righteousness. It was not based on Jacob's righteousness. It was based on God's goodness. It wasn't how good he was. It wasn't the wife he had. It wasn't how many mistakes he made. It was none of that. It was about God's goodness. Now listen to this. Tell me this isn't a different, this isn't a different Jacob. You don't hear if in this next couple phrases at all. There's no, if you do this, I'll do this. If, if God, you do this, I'll, I'll be at church every Sunday. If you do this, God, I'll make sure that I'm serving. If you do this, I'll, be, I'll tithe. This is what he says. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds and steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan. And now I have two camps. God, you've blessed me. There's no if in that anymore. Something changed. Now, Journey, we talk about this thing called life change. And what I've learned in my life, 55 years old, life change requires great amount of grace. Grace is defined unmerited favor. That only comes through Jesus Christ. But I've also learned this with the grace that we need to have, we need to have truth. So you have grace plus truth. But the greatest, the greatest ingredient to this whole thing is something that we constantly try to get around. I had a conversation Thursday with a young man. He's in college. And he said, Pastor Bobby, I'm just struggling. So let's talk, bro. And he started telling me his story. And like every person in this room, after hearing his story, would be proud to have this kid as a son. Like you would probably give your son away to get this kid. That's how, not all of us, but you know what I mean. Like he was that good. And I said to him, I said, I'm not gonna say his name. We'll call him John. I said, John, you know what your problem is? You're too hard on yourself. You gotta give yourself the next part of the ingredient is time. See, life change doesn't happen just overnight. Discipleship is a process. It's a lifelong process. Back in 1983, I was saved. I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. But you know what I'm today? I'm still being saved. I need God's cleansing blood in my life all the time because of the mistakes I make. That's discipleship. Discipleship is not just doing a Bible study. Discipleship is not just getting with a group of people. Discipleship is allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us about the shortcomings. It's about being in relationship with people. It's about serving Him. It's about being obedient to Him. And all of that, I need grace. Somebody say amen. We all need grace. And we all need truth. We need the truth of God's Word, right? But man, cut yourself some slack. We need some time too. I will not be perfect, perfected. As much as I think I'm perfected now, I will not be perfected until I see Jesus face to face. That's when it all ends. And that's, you know what he's gonna say to me? Not well done, good and excellent, perfect. Bobby, come on in. Well done, good and faithful. 
servant. Come now. It comes down to this one thing. I think one element that Jacob had at the end of his life that he didn't have when he was trying to be a deceiver with his brother is one word called humility. He became humble. That, that scripture right there is humble. It reminds me of what in a few weeks we're going to be celebrating. We're going to be celebrating the most humble act that ever happened in the course of history. When God's son laid down his life, the Bible says, while we were still sinners. I want you to shut your eyes for a second. Let's just pray. God, it's more than a story. It's more than just a collection of fables. They're sacred words that we can hang on to. They're living words that we can hang on to. And there's lots of people that I can relate to in the Bible, but boy, can I relate to Jacob. And many of us in this room have spent a large portion of our lives trying to manipulate so the best situation would come out of that and we would be at the upper end, the top end of that. Maybe it's not a birthright. Maybe it's not trying to manipulate a father. Maybe it's been manipulating you. Lots of if statements. Lots of if statements. So today, my prayer is this that we would humble ourselves. First of all, we would humble ourselves to the lordship of you. That we would recognize Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And that God, maybe this week, maybe in this coming week, we would have some honest conversations with you about ourselves. And maybe we would maybe we would deal for the first time in our lives, or maybe, maybe we'd deal in it for a while, but with our past. And maybe we would, we, would, we would put some things in the pot that are gonna grow good plants. That we would understand what we sow is what we reap. What comes around, goes around. And maybe for others today was eye-opening and just in the fact that we've spent lots of time blaming other people. And maybe, maybe they did certain things. Maybe there were certain actions that they did. But how I respond to those is my responsibility. And God, I pray that you would help me. And and God, I'm literally praying this prayer right now, personally. I can't, I can't, I can't control how other people see things. I can't control what other people write. I can't control what other people say. But what I can control is me. I can control how I respond to it. And what I wanna do is I wanna be just like you, Jesus. So would you help me with God, I pray as we uncover next week another, another story. God, there would be more truth that we would have to do, need to apply to our lives. We pray all this stuff in Jesus' name. And everyone in this room said amen. amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.